Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast. This is episode 30. We're going to do something a little different on this one. And today with me, I got Justin McWilliams, Nick Ledeen, the other hosts, and uh, I'm Grant Schwalbe. And we're just going to talk a little bit about what we've learned so far and firefighter rescue survey. And I don't know, just kind of kind of shoot back for a little bit and, and talk. So welcome guys. Um, Nick, why don't you uh, open up? Let's talk about the firefighter rescue survey and how that's going. Yeah. Uh, so Firefighter Rescue Survey, we started this, uh, a handful of us, I think there was five initially, and now it's kind of grown um, to nine or ten right now. Uh, we started this four years ago with the idea that we are doing a piss poor job of data collection in the fire service, specifically when it comes to our rescues and our saves, uh, our hits and our wins. And so we figured, hey, why don't we try crowdsourcing the fire service and see if we can't get some information out of this and uh, out of our brothers and sisters. And it's been pretty awesome so far to date. We're over 1,500 and uh, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And so we have a little bit more accurate of a picture of how many rescues we are actually making and then what actually goes into each of these rescues um, as far as the, the procedures go and, and what happens and, and how long it takes and the timestamps and the number of people and how they're actually removing everybody. So there's a lot of questions. We're upwards of 50 questions, but if you have a certain uh, a handful of, of pieces of information before you're doing this. It only takes, I don't know, 10 minutes to fill out, give or take. So, and then we've got quite a bit of information now to date. So we know how long it's taking people and what their survival rate is at different timestamps. We know how long it's taking them to not only find people, but to remove people. We know if the structure appeared vacant or not, if they had working smoke alarms in there, if they were behind a closed door, if there was fire involved in their room. Um, if we're doing CPR, what our survival rate is. So we have a, kind of a broad question base and the information that we're getting out of it and gleaning from this is completely biased here, but I think is making us all a little bit more effective and efficient here. Hey, hey Justin, just hit mute when you're not talking for Pete's sake. I don't even know what that means, dude. Like, where is that stuff? Mute, oh, yeah. left, left corner, you see that? Yeah, I see it now. Hello, 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 hello. And now we can't hear you, but that's all right. Thing is cute. I know. We're just gonna let this roll because whatever. One of you guys want to talk about the rescue survey Facebook page because that's pretty pretty cool. I'd, it's like a ton of grabs being, getting shared on there. Yeah. So this is a page that is specifically focused on sharing grabs. And so anytime somebody makes a grab, anybody can post on there. All we ask is that when someone posts something. They put the city, the date, and hopefully the department name on there so that when people want to go back and, and, and try to find a certain post in there, it's super easy for these people to actually find it. It also helps us uh, from Firefighter Rescue Survey standpoint to go back and double check to make sure that information, information is accurate as well. Um, since we're crowdsourcing the fire department, sometimes what's happened is two people from the same rescue will post something on there. And so then we can go back if especially it's been really helpful with this page and just double check to make sure that oh there was actually two rescues on there or if there was only one we can then contact these guys and then potentially delete one of those so it's super helpful uh, if you just go to firefighter rescue survey uh, look it up on facebook uh, i think we got about seven thousand members at this point in time and it's amazing to see how many grabs we're making 
upwards of two, three, four a day. And those are just the ones that we know about. So I'm not quite sure how many we're actually making that are slipping through the cracks, but we seem to be getting a little bit better at collecting these on the Facebook page. Justin, we started this back. Uh, the first one we posted was August 22nd. I'm kind of surprised we're, we're coming on the upwards of a year. Why don't you talk about anything that, you know, you got, we've all been teaching and search for a little while. What we hear through some of these rescues, what if you notice trends, conf confirmations of stuff you've already been teaching and the kind of new stuff that if there's anything popping up that you're surprised at? So I guess, yeah, I mean, we've been teaching search for a little while now of rescue. Um, in the beginning, we, uh, we'd get some pushback, you know, just when we teach with brothers in battles across the, the states, uh, when we do like baby drops. And then people would blow us up on the book of the faces and be like, oh, that doesn't even happen. Uh, what's awesome about like being able to talk to people and or um, get some of these documented down is that like I can go back into the history and go, oh, we've had actually 10 uh, since the beginning of this year so far. And I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just making that number up. But and talk about, you know, the circumstances we had. So um, all this, what it's been doing is kind of just um, solidifying what we've actually been doing. Because uh, when we go out and teach, none of us have made any of this up. We take it from our senior men and the people before us and experience from thousands of firefighters across the nation and or the world. And we just try to bring it down to the best training. And so now we can just, you know, go back and look at some of this, uh, the firefighter rescue survey and kind of be like, hey, it's just solidifying what we're already teaching. So as it is for when we're doing these interviews, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the latest things that I've, I've uh, I learned was from Seattle Fire was that um, one of my buddies was in a, um, I call it tri-level, it's either a bi-level or tri-level, I couldn't remember, but they're downstairs and he, uh, he remembered one of the rescue one guys telling him how to put his arms down through the neck of the of a t-shirt a non-button-up t-shirt and then grab a hold of the collar so pretty much scratch it up to give it rigidity and uh that helped them get uh make the rescue up the stairs so that's probably um you know one of the best things i've got from it so far yeah that one was cool i played it for my guys here at work and then we were trying to figure it out and we couldn't couldn't figure it out so i ended up uh, messaging Tommy and they're like hey can you walk us through this and he's like hey put me on FaceTime and it's so cool that we have the ability to learn like that you know as we do these the thing that sticks out to me most is the speed at which these rescues happen you know when we, when we do our training it seems like we want to challenge our guys we want to make this kind of a difficult rescue we want to see what they're made of but man the, the speed at which guys are pulling people out it's two to five minutes from air break. And that really sticks out to me. And it, it makes me think that we got to really dial that in on the training, the training side, it just make short evolutions. And there's going to be a lot more of them, but just the short evolutions, get somebody out and see how the folks do. Yeah, absolutely. On that, uh, you know, how quick it is, is that one of the things in our, uh, our academy, like, you know, we do a week of rescue and search, but we're, I'm always changing it. Uh, every you know every year or every academy always change it and one of the things is about the speed like you're talking about about is that we don't have time to always uh if we can get them out we just get them out like we, we used to teach oh yeah get on the radio let people know and i know this is some, somewhat controversial for people but 
for our department, it's like, if we find them and you can get them out, just start drag, doing a dirt, dirty drag and drag them out and get in the front yard and then you can call on the air. We don't want to delay on the inside <clears throat> to try to get on air because a lot of times we don't have that kind of time to commit. We never know when the air is going to be uh, open back up. So that's something we definitely changed in our academy. So I think the next sticker that's going to be coming out in the fire service has got to be something with like dirty drags. This is like a, a term you coined, Justin. We'll talk about dirty drags a little bit. And that, what you... um, pretty much, uh, well, I mean, the dirty drags is just grab and go. Um, I think one of the things that I struggled with is um, being a young firefighter and kept on being taught the hasty harness. And I couldn't do that sober uh, out in the sunlight. Um, <laughs> with no gloves on. I, it literally, I, I could do it one day after I practiced and practiced and practiced, but then the next day I wasn't able to do it. And then we'd go in and we'd try to do it on mannequins and everybody knows how that turned out. So like over years, we'd be like, this is, this doesn't make any sense. The experience is telling us this is wrong. And now that we are actually documenting it, it's like, oh, this isn't working out. I haven't seen a hasty harness in over a decade now. Um, and so dirty drag is just, Dude, this is get dirty. Let's get this job to a blue collar job. Get down on the ground, grab up, grab them by whatever you can grab them by, and get them out. Uh, this is not a clean rescue. It's whatever you can do to get them out. So in our um, our, our our rescue manual, it does have some. Hey, here's a way that we can make a grab. Here's a way we can make a grab. But those are just the beginnings. Like if you talk to other guys, uh, it's whatever you can do. So. Just, uh, it's just getting down in the dirt, get dirty and just yank them out, get them into the air and get them to EMS. And I don't think I coined it. I don't know where it even came from. Uh, what about you, Nick? What, what are you uh, picking up on some of these recordings that we're doing? Yeah, so I think that the biggest thing that I'm taking away is exactly what you mentioned, Justin, is, is the importance of speed and how speed is, is directly proportional to saves. Um, the other thing that we haven't touched on quite yet and I haven't asked it a ton and it's not always asked, but the importance of physical fitness. Um, the guys that are more fit seem to be a little bit faster at doing this and a little bit more prepared. Um, and anytime a wrench gets thrown in there, they can handle that wrench a little bit better than the people that are, that are less physically fit. So for me, one of the things that this is, has just solidified is the importance of physical fitness and specifically when it comes to moving bodies, moving bodies that can't help you move them. So uh, it's something that for, for us at work, we're, we're making it a focus uh, to make sure that we're moving people, moving bodies, moving them up and down stairs, moving them across hallways. So we're just practicing this, and hopefully the, the more we practice it, the better we'll be at it when the, when the tones are up. It's something that, that I picked up on that touches both on the physical fitness and the, and the dirty grabs part is when guys are defaulting back to lifting victims and walking <laughs> backwards, uh, it seems like in a couple of these, they've fallen and gotten pinned by the victim. And it just presents another problem that initially I didn't think of. I thought, uh, you know, you don't want to get them up, up high into the smoke and, and products of combustion. But, you know, I mean, how many times you're walking backwards, you fall over. You know, it just seems like it's getting highlighted in a couple of these. Yeah, especially one of the guys and one of mine, they were, they were going upstairs, tripped, victim landed on them, took them a while just to get the, the victim off them so they could then kind of reposition themselves and get moving again. So luckily this guy was in incredible shape. And if he wasn't, I don't think it would have went nearly as smooth. I want to touch a little bit. This is a discussion Justin and I have talked about. And uh, 
let's talk about oriented search versus a split search. And it, it seems to have come up a little bit more now when we get to talk to people and say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, what's, you know, what's your method? You split search, oriented search, large area, VES, how are you getting your searches done? And it seems like the oriented search, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but it's the JV version of search. And by that, I mean, I'm a company officer and I got to watch out for my junior guys. So if they don't have the training or the experience, I'm going to keep my eye on them a little bit closer. I'm going to keep them a little bit in my pocket and we're not going to get as far apart from each other. If I've got uh, Dean's one of my firemen and, and you know, we, we do teach search a lot together. I know what he's going to do. He knows what I'm going to do. I can tell him you go left. I'm going to go right. I'm comfortable with that because I know his level of, of experience. Likewise, if the conditions are crappy, we're going to stay a little bit closer. So conditions and experience levels seem to dictate how far apart we, we get. Um, but when I'm talking with Justin, it, it sounds like, you know, you and your interaction with your guys, you're searching all the time. You're searching off of a rescue. This is what you guys do. And you're splitting and you're leapfrogging, you're doing stuff like that. And it just seems to be like the varsity version of the oriented. Uh, so I, at least in my mind, I don't want people to think you got to pick one or the other, Republican or Democrat. It's not that. It's just, it's going to vary based on the conditions and the experience level. You guys want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very blessed for where I work. Um, so my department allowed me to take over, you know, all of our rescue and search from um, the brand new firefighters coming in all the way through all of our uh, annual training and our FRPs or SLPs everything that being said um like our academy like our first the first thing we start searching on is ves and uh and then we pretty much uh teach um split search through the week and that if i feel that they don't understand where their partner's at or they don't know where their partner's at or they don't feel comfortable they just get tighter so we don't there's a whole oriented thing that uh, I believe has to do with like a tick camera and someone ticks a room and then someone else goes in. In our department, we don't really teach that. There's definitely some people that probably do that from back in the day, but uh, our companies rarely raise our tick. And I know that some people are gonna cringe when they hear this, but in our department, we go in, we take rooms. Like, listen, we're just talking residential right now, apartments or multifamily or single family. We just take rooms and, and we just uh, we just make a haste, hasty search. And uh, by the time that we shut the door, open a window, break out a window and get it searched, we don't have time to lift up a tick and look for windows and stuff. We've already found them with our hands. So that being said, if the conditions are deteriorating and whatnot, and we got to get closer, that's when we might start picking up our tick, which would cause us more of an oriented search. I don't know if that really makes complete sense, but uh, we don't we don't really even call it oriented search or split search anymore. It's just, we go wide when we can go wide and we go narrow when we have to go narrow and the conditions dictate that. Uh, our newer fellows, um, yeah, we probably go a little bit tighter, but not with me uh, because I'm with every, every single firefighter that's gone through our district for so many years now. I've been with them inside uh, for at least training. And so most of them know when they come and work with me, like we're gonna, what we're gonna do, cause we've already done it together. So I feel even more comfortable with them 
going across the hallway right away. I mean, we had one the other day, guys on probation. We go to VES, he's the first one in the window. By the time I got in the window, he's already across the hall in the other room. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, that has to do with me, though, as well, just because I know him a little bit better and I've trained with him a little bit more. So, I love that yeah. wide versus narrow. That's, that's a good way to put it. What about you, Nick? What are you guys, what are you guys finding? So uh, I, I like a lot of what Justin said and, and what you said too. Uh, I liked your, your JV version of search analogy. Um, so the way I look at this is, is the goal is square footage and speed um, and to take care of, of both of those as fast as we can. So the easiest way to do that and the fastest way to do that is going to be split search. So that should be our default. Now on conditions, resources, or the building is going to make us go a little bit more narrow, as Justin was saying. We absolutely will do that as well. Um, but the goal is to to get as loose as we can with each other. This is that one piece that when we talk about coordination on the fire ground, we talk a lot about ventilation and, and attack. And I think kind of the redheaded stepchild a lot of times is search and where search fits into this. And so, and I learned this from Brothers in Battles, but uh, Brothers in Battle, but I think that when when you get water on the fire, you can get real loose with this now. Conditions are getting better, you can get loose. You have a smaller fire, you can get loose. You have a comfortable crew, you can get loose. Um, so that's kind of the, the ultimate goal right here. So obviously the conditions, resources, what I mean by that is, is how comfortable your crew is. Um, is, is this someone that, that you're working with for the first time ever? Is this someone that, that you know you can't trust? Is this somebody um, that you know you can trust? How loose can I get with this person? So that's what I mean by resources in this context. And then the building, uh, you know, what's, what's the fire doing to this building as well? And, and where are the searchable spaces currently? So the default should be split search in my opinion. Um, and, and that's kind of our, our goal here. And it's been kind of a, a process where I'm at, but we're, we're, we're making some, some big giant strides here. That's great. Something I noticed on this is, is for the most part, guys don't have problems finding the victim. With the exception, I think there's the grab where the kid was hiding in the toy box. Uh, that seems like the anomaly. But uh, did you guys key in on that? Or are you finding that, you know, we're not searching for quarters here. The victims are going to be where they're going to be. And as long as we get in and occupy the space, we're going we're gonna to find them? Absolutely. Yeah, the toy box one was a, was a really good one, too, to listen to. Um, but, but yeah, and, and the, the analogy with searching for quarters and searching on top of weird things and, and behind certain things, um, how I was kind of initially taught search, um, it really hasn't held up to the, what are we at? How many have we posted right now? 28, 29, something like that? Yeah, this is going to be number 30, and I think we've recorded up through 39. So Yeah, so I, I haven't heard any other ones where the victims were, were really hidden or, or really hard to find. Just solid search techniques are, are finding these people. Anybody want to dive in on tick stuff? I know we started to hit that a little bit. Uh, I mean, really with ticks, I mean, I kind of already said it a little bit. I mean, I have four on my rig. I have four, four firefighters, four ticks on my rig. Um, man, I, we talk all the time about ticks. We're like, did you guys use yours? No. All right. Should we be better at it? Yeah. Are we? No. Um, you know, we train. It's just that usually when we get to our ticks, is that we're moving too fast to use our ticks most times. And we have the, I mean, we are always getting new ticks in our department. We're all, we always, we have a good little hookup with FLIR. And so we have the newest, best ones on our rig. And so they don't stutter or anything, but like by the time I lift it up, 
and set it down, I could have a 10 by 10 room search pretty much if I, if I try to figure it out. Um, I can locate that victim, I can isolate. So most of the times we use our ticks are, um, would be like once you were doing like a secondary and it's too smoky to do a real secondary. So we're actually just doing a kind of second primary. So we'll just kind of get a little bit better look at it or something of the sort or uh, larger area, obviously search, we'll start using it, but um, I get it. It's a great tool. It's just that that's just not how we do business. Nick, you want to weigh in at all or? Yeah. So I, uh, I think that the, the technology with, with thermal imaging cameras is, is impressive. I think that the good that they could potentially bring is, is definitely there. The numbers from firefighter rescue survey were a little bit surprising to me that uh, when thermal imaging cameras are used, they're not used uh, as nearly as often as I would have thought. And the survival rate with them is actually lower than without them. Now, just because something is doesn't mean that the way that's the way that it ought to be. Um, so when we do teach uh, searches with a thermal imaging camera, it's pretty much when you have a bigger open area and you're lifting it up and you're just doing a quick scan, you're looking for uh, form more than color um, and potentially movement. And that's really all that we're looking for. So it's a quick five, 10 second thing uh, in a big open room, like a living room or a great room. That's pretty much all we hit on when it comes to using thermal imaging cameras. If you have some downtime and you're waiting for your partner because you can't progress any farther uh, until they're done searching, go ahead and use it there too. Uh, so I'm no expert when it comes to thermal imagers, um, but I do happen to to agree with with almost everything that Justin just said on there. Like uh, nothing takes away, nothing can can take away from the basics here and a solid search is, is, is there's nothing better than it. Yeah, at least in my experience, I didn't learn initially how to search with a tick. So it's kind of teaching an old dog new tricks in a sense. But I think like Justin said, shoot, by the time it's done, you realize that, oh, shoot, I could have used this thing. And you just got it done um, and using it more in the secondary and the overhaul aspect. So real uh, quick, can I just hop in with some quick numbers here since I, since I got them in front of me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thermal imaging camera was used in about 36 to 37 percent of rescues. Uh, this is as of uh, 1300 rescues, uh, 1372 I believe, and then the survival rate with the camera uh, was 47 to 48 percent, and the survival rate without a camera was was mid 60s. So just because it is that way doesn't mean it ought to be that way, but that's what we're finding. That's what the the data is showing us at this point in time. Yeah, so like our, um, <clears throat> unless you're on a truck or a, a rescue in my department, the engines only have, well, they have two, one to two. I mean, they have four-person companies have two tanks, but the three-person companies have one. But uh, is there, are any of you guys teaching, giving uh, the academies ticks when they, um, during the academy and while they're, when, they're, when they're learning to search? Because we don't. We do about uh, five days of search in the academy and only towards the last two, do we show them anything on search or, or on the, the tick? We want them to get the basics down first, but then understand that when they get on a rig and you've got an officer, this is how he might be using the, the tick and, and what the limitations are gonna be. Uh, so when we teach uh, VES at my department, our, our academy is only about three weeks long, but they do have the second member up top with a thermal imaging camera when they teach VES at my department. I believe that's the only time that during search that they, they have a thermal imaging camera in their hands, though. Um, the last other thing that 
I wanted to touch on that has been highlighted in here is, is the calling out for a victim and listening. A lot of times I, I ask somebody, I'm like, hey, how did you decide if you're going left, going right, or going right to the victim? And I'm surprised at the high percentage. They said they just called out or they heard coughing and then they went straight to the victim. I think that's something that we, we miss when we're training. And maybe it's because dummies don't answer. So that's why I kind of like to use live victims when we're doing some stuff. And uh, I was just shocked at, at the percentage that to go right to the victim. Yeah, that's a solid point. Uh, I think that's something. And I, what I really liked what you said there is that's not something that we really capitalize on in training. Um, you know, when we're doing these scenarios, too often people are making these 10, 15 minute scenarios where you got to search everything and up on countertops and behind this, this big heavy piece of furniture. And we're not making it as realistic as possible. Uh, Grant, I thought you did a great job at the quarantine conference when you were talking about how you actually lay out your search scenarios. Um, I think you gave like three of them. And, and one of them was somebody comes in and they're searching and, uh, and then I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, but you were saying if somebody coughs that they go right for them. Otherwise they're going to miss this person if they go the opposite way. You know, you got a 50, 50 chance potentially to, to find them really, really fast. Um, and we know how fast and how related and, and directly proportional survival is to speed. So a cough, go right towards them. If you call out and listen, if you hear somebody uh, answer to you, go right to them, make your scenarios quick, realistic, uh, not always quick, but as realistic as you can. You know, I think the, the great thing about this grabs podcast and again, totally biased, um, um, but listen to one of these and then try to recreate it. Uh, can you do what they did? Uh, what did you learn when you're doing it? Did you run into the same problems that the, the actual uh, rescuer ran into? Um, how did you work through these? Um, get your whole crew involved and, and use this as kind of a template for your next training. Yeah, exactly. I've been been super impressed by the feedback we've gotten uh, from all the people that are you know, say, hey, they listen to it. They like the, the format. It's short. They can listen to it on the way to the, the station and everything. And I just want all the listeners to know, we want to encourage you to get a hold of one of three of us uh, and record this. It takes literally less than a half hour. You can reach one of any one of us and, and we'll go through the contacts and include it in the show notes and whatnot. But uh, we try to just do it on Zoom. It doesn't have to be some superhero story. Uh, sometimes the, the easy ones reinforce the basics and that's what we're looking for. Just, just get a hold of us. We do it on, you know, like I said, we just do it on Zoom. We record it pretty easy, and and we kind of follow the the format that that you're all pretty used to. Uh, Nick, how would they get a hold of you if they wanted to record? Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you on that? Uh, probably the easiest way is is through Facebook. Uh, just Nick Ledeen, L-E-D-I-N. Otherwise, you can uh, email me. It's nledeen at Hotmail. I still have Hotmail because I'm old. At least it's not AOL, though, right? <laughs> Touche. Right. Uh, Justin, what about you? How do they get a hold of you? Well, uh, I've been off the book of the faces and social media for a couple months, except a little bit of search culture stuff, so I rarely check that. Um, probably phone 503-729-2734. Uh, you can text me. Just kind of give, let me know what you're, what you're thinking about, or you can actually be a human being and call me. That's going to be okay. You, you answer from unknown callers? <laughs> I, 
<laughs> no, leave a message. <laughs> and you can get a hold of me on Facebook, uh, Grant Schwalbe at gmail.com or 239-898-0843. Uh, send me a text. And it's really, this is really simple to, to get the stuff out and record it. But uh, what else? You, you guys got anything else? We'll wrap it up. We're hitting about our time. I don't think so. I just appreciate the opportunity to ride your coattails, boys. I appreciate it. Oh, we were riding yours. I'm All still right. riding them. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. No, I got them good. All right. Uh, take care, fellas. Okay.